Welcome to the DGR Podcast. I'm your host, David Gray. Hello everyone, David here. Welcome back to the DGR Podcast. I hope you're all doing very, very well. This is episode number 87 and I have a great guest, a great return guest. I have Graham Morris. Graham was on with us back in episode four. It has been one of our most popular episodes so far, and I think you should check that out if you haven't, and then also check this one out if you haven't or if you have already. Uh, We spoke back in episode four about kind of Graham's, where he was in his career at that stage. He wasn't working in pro sport, and he was looking for a job in pro sport, and now I kind of got an update from him. So now he's back working in pro sport. We talked about what he had been up to, uh, what he got, what job he got, and what that role entails. And also, we spoke about calf rehab, we spoke about some hamstring rehab, and lots of other good stuff along the way. I think you'll really enjoy the podcast. Graham is the man, one of my very favorite people in the industry. So make sure you give it a share for us if you like it, and tag me and Graham, that would be great. But apart from that, enjoy the show, and I will chat to you guys on the other side. Okay, so keep keep that one under your hat. That's between me and you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Gotcha. That's that's a that's an Irish phrase. Do you use that? Keep that under your hat. I've heard it before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a very there's such a there's a funny video online which is a guy taking off. It's actually really like that phrase is really in my city in Waterford, and there's a guy like doing a skit, and he's spreading gossip to his friend like he's saying I heard this, this, and this, and then he goes. Keep that under your hat now. Keep that, and then he keeps going, and he says, "Keep it, keep that under your hat." So like, but then the next fella would just go and tell another fella and tell him, yeah. "Keep that under your hat," <laughs> and no one ever keeps it under their hat. No, no. Um, Someone always tells one person, but then they think they're being good because they've only told one person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so you're back. G Man is back. You were on episode four. Uh, so yeah. welcome back. How have you been? I'm good, man. Uh, very good. That was a long, yeah, it was a while ago now, wasn't it? That's what's that be, yeah. Uh, that was released on the 31st of December, 2021. So that was released on New Year's Eve, 2021. Yeah, nearly two years ago. Yeah, right, yeah. Got a bit to talk about. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I think we spoke then, uh, I didn't listen back now, but I can see the show notes here. That's a very good episode if people want to listen, but... We kind of, you're at a little bit of a, I don't know, crossroads in your career where yeah. you didn't have a job in sport, in pro sport. Yeah. And you were trying to maybe do a little bit like kind of online and yeah, your, right. yourself. Yeah. Um, and you were doing a little bit of your back training, I think, properly at that stage a bit more uh, from your yeah. back or your knee or maybe it was a bit of both. So what's happened yes. since then? Uh, well, basically... So I was trying to get a job that year and I couldn't find anything. And then I think what happened was I was doing a bit of online stuff and at some point I started feeling sorry for myself and which never happens. Um, And I was just bored. So I literally, um, like literally just went, I put in 30 days notice of my house and I booked a a one-way ticket to Thailand and I threw everything in storage. And I was like, at the time I was thinking, this could be a month. This could be two months. Um, but it ended up being five months. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, and I just went over there and I like, I did a little bit of, I was doing a little bit of online. Uh, and when I spoke to you, I talked about, I was going to do like write up a mentorship and stuff. Um, I didn't do any of that. <laughs> Nothing. Um, I literally um, started training over there. It was obviously, I love my Thai boxing or Muay Thai and, um, a week in, a week in t- training there, they're like, "Do you want to dro- join the um, the fighting team?" And I was like, "Oh, 39 years old. Why not? I still have a crack here." So then I trained. I trained with the fighting team for like five months, and uh, it was actually an awesome experience. Um, it actually taught me a lot about um, athletic development. I, I, I think um, just being like training that that long in the heat. I was training twice a day up to four hours a day. I know what overtraining is now. You know, people say, you know, when you say, yeah. oh, I'm overtraining. No, you're not. You're not overtraining. I can tell you that because <laughs> I've gone way past that now. I know what overtraining is. Um, 
so yeah, I did that for five months. And does overtraining? That's the that's the that's the woke post that you see. Overtraining doesn't exist. Are like it does exist. So does overtraining exist? Yeah, I don't know. What I will say is that um, when you're training, training huge amounts, it will definitely the fatigue will definitely mask your fitness. I'll say that. Um, whether or not, do you know what I mean? It marks your, it marks your fitness. There's, there was points there when I was like, I'm dead here, I'm not fit. But then you freshen up for two days and you just come back and you, you felt like an animal. So it's just about mm. trying to get, get that balance, you know? Um, and mm. probably- I think it depends on the sport as well. A hundred percent. And like something like Muay Thai and that is like, you can push the boundaries or even boxing, you can push the boundaries of training because you don't have to worry about uh, soft tissue injuries like hamstrings or, or calf. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's very, you know, basically you just get bashed up um, and you have the odd little, you'll have, you're always injured, you always have niggles, but a lot of the time that's, you've been kicked or you've been hit and you haven't torn a muscle. So you don't have to worry about those dangers. Um, I think that's the mm. big thing. That's why you can push the needle so far. Whereas if you do that in, yeah. in, in, in a running based sport, then you're out of the game for a, a period of time and you can't do that. That's the big yeah, thing. Yeah, you're going to pick yeah. up a tendon injury or... Yeah, you might actually be... Yeah, you'll pick, you'll pick up a muscle or a tendon injury. Yeah, for um, sure. Or tendinopathy or something like that. So, yeah, yeah it depends. Like, yeah. You're probably... You, you would struggle to overtrain. I actually heard Alex Hermosi, I think, doing a video on this. Maybe it was yesterday uh, where he was like... Some guy was telling him, aren't you worried about overtraining? And he said, that guy didn't even look like he trained at all. So... <laughs> So I think a lot of, I saw so many people in the comments, like physios and SNCs saying, oh, it does, you can overtrain, you can't, but like yeah, yeah. in the gym, being a bodybuilder, you could probably yeah. spend like four hours a day in the gym and you'd probably be okay. It doesn't mean you're training with the most intensity, but like you're probably okay. But if you have to sprint, uh, maybe or, not. Or you get rabdo. Um <laughs> yeah, but when, when, I was talking, when I was talking about overtraining at the start, I wasn't talking about the actual definition of overtraining. I was, yeah, I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just throwing that out there type thing. Um, but it was quite, it was actually very, very interesting. So I was doing a few, a few hours a day online work and, and all that. And I was spending a lot of time training and a lot of time at the beach and a lot of time on the scooter trying to get, get not get caught. Um, but because I didn't have a license. Um, or, um, <laughs> no one has a scooter license in Thailand, but yeah, um, no. but they, love, they love getting you for fines. But uh, just kind of like around my own training when I was doing that, um, it made me kind of think, changed my idea on a lot of things. Like what I found was like with my strength training and that, it just becomes so general in nature, like so general. Like even even like when I had my fight, the, I had two fights expensive, <laughs> but when I had my fight at the back end, you know, when I, when I program for my athletes, I'll have like these peaking methods in there. I'm trying to, you know, increase rate of force development and all that. That's probably different because I'm 39. But literally, I was training twice a week in the gym and my elbows were beating up from all the punches and throwing. My knees were hurting from all the kicks. And literally, I was doing like things like leg press, um, leg extension, leg curl, um, dumbbell press. Sometimes that hurt. Um, just like machine row, it became so general in nature and it, it kind of became, this is just the glue that's keeping my body together right now. Um, and I was just training around things and then just targeting tissues. Like obviously I had the dodgy back, the dodgy knee. So I, throughout my, my experience, I've learned certain things that can keep me healthy. Some of the stuff you've shown and I've stolen from your programs. I know certain things make me feel better and allow me to keep training along that period. So it was quite, it was quite funny how, you know, because of my specificity in my training just become, the, the volume of it becomes so, so, so high, then my actual weight yeah. training has become so general in nature. Yeah. That's kind yeah. of what I needed to keep you my just body. You just want that. Yeah, you just want that stuff to help you feel good enough for your next session. Your 100%. next, your next Muay session or whatever. Yeah, yeah, for sure. This is exactly what I was doing. Um, and it kind of changed my thoughts on a lot of things like that. Um, you know, um, whereas, you know, before I'd probably have, like if I had one of my fighters, uh, which I still do to a degree, but I kind of pulled it back now. I'd have some certain peaking methods. I'd be using some fancy stuff to get rate of force development, um, you know, all that type of stuff. And now I'm kind of like, okay, how about we just, for my, like some of my profiters and that, sometimes I'd say, just use some of that power stuff before your skill session. Um, 
Ben's, you know, you get some neck work, some some shoulder scap work in post training, and and then then you have your your weight session. It's just so general in nature, just to because you don't have time to do any of that stuff. And then I kind of flipped it yeah. and started doing yeah. more power stuff in outside of the fights. You know, when you have time to actually focus on that, which is kind of I've kind of flipped it a little bit yeah. in a way. Yeah. 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 Yeah, because yeah, look, they're getting you're getting power as part of your sport. You know, yeah. there's there's an element of that that's there. Whereas in your off season or whatever it is, like you're not where you're, you don't have a fight coming up or you're not training yeah. as hard. Then is your chance to put that in, which is traditionally people would see it the other way around. Yeah, but David, oh, oh, you, are you still doing? Are you still doing a lot of BJJ or? Uh, I haven't done as much for the summer, but I trained. Yeah, I trained. Oh. I trained last night. I can... and uh, it was fucking horrible. I can tell you right now, I bet you it's guaranteed, I guarantee you it's changed the way you thought about strength training to a degree because you learn something small and technical. In a, like I always say to coaches, if you can have a chance to take up a martial art or a, a fighting type sport, you will learn very quickly how much you can change. So, say like we, we clinch in Muay Thai and you're doing a lot of like grappling and BJJ, but you learn the smallest little technique and all of a sudden that changes everything and you're so much stronger in that movement. Um, it's so technical and when you think about that in a sport that's actually quite on the spectrum it'd be quite a bit of a force dominant you know grappling if you think about it but it's still so technical in nature and um i don't think a lot of um like pure strength coaches that probably come from more of a like lifting background probably don't understand to that degree how like you can have so much changes technically and how so strength training just kind of supplements what you do um, there's a lot of people like oh, I'm going to yeah. change your power output in your striking by doing this weight training, which is great. But today, like I'm quite experienced, in, um, but like I had a coach today show me a little thing to get extra snap, and I felt an extra. I felt two, three percent straight away on my strikes yeah. this morning, literally. And I was like, well, I could have like tried to develop that over two months of doing the power phase, but I just just a slight little thing technically, and I've got that already. <laughs> yeah yeah it's a skill it's just a complete skill all yeah. these all the skills are are different of movement yeah. yeah uh you know so strength is so specific i actually don't even like describing it in that way that strength is specific because it's it's probably the truth but it's not it's not accurate enough it's not strength it's skill the skill is specific yeah. The timing of the muscle coordination is specific. So, yeah. yeah, like the strength work plan, if someone has all these beautiful technical attributes, yeah, they, and then they add on a little bit of strength in the gym, a general strength on top of that, like they, that can be a very potent combination. But presuming yeah. that you're going to improve the sport by just, by just lifting when you actually don't have the technical competencies, just that just doesn't make sense. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So yeah, the back end of that, I ended up having a, a fight at the very back end, which was quite interesting. I did five rounds, full, full Muay Thai rules. So through straight in the deep end, no no shin pads, nothing, just straight up elbowing. Um, and it's, it's quite interesting because in Muay Thai, uh, you actually get, um, you get better scores off like kicks, elbows and knees rather than punching. So like yeah. that just means that like you're getting higher scores using like really hard parts of your body that's inflicting damage. So uh, that was enjoyable. Um, I, remember, no, I remember the third, end of the third round, I tried to finish him and I actually nearly finished myself. I gassed out and I got hit on the ear and I was like wobbling everywhere. And then my, my coach says to me at the end of the third round, I was like, I didn't think I could stand up. I thought I was cooked. And he's like, if you don't stand up, I'm going to slap you. And um, he's a, he, my coach was 140 kilos, six foot four, like huge. Makes me look small. And I was like, this is going to hurt more than like not getting up. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, it's about the, yeah. So, but the back end of that, I actually got um, a job offer, as you know, David. Um, I had, actually had two clubs chasing me at the back end, but I ended up signing. Hang on, I need, I need to rewind. I need to rewind. What was your promotional name for the fight? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. So basically, this is this just. This is Thailand to a T right now, right? So you get the photo done and you stand in there and try to get a proper photo. And um, the photo comes out and 
I'm American now. There's a, there's a photo of a US flag, US flag underneath me. And my name was Gray Ham. G Gray, G R A E Y, space Ham. G R A A, A, was it? G Oh, I have to find the poster. It was um, A, it was A. Yeah, maybe. It was That's definitely probably, A. Yeah, the Gray Ham from America. And the funniest thing is in, in Phuket in Thailand, these trucks come past, like trucks, and it's like, um, they come over the PA, like, you can hear them from everywhere. Like, big fight promotion. And then I see myself, and I see myself on a truck, and I was like, this is so cool. And, like, I'd be walking down the street, seeing posters of myself. I was like, oh, this is bad. <laughs> and well, so, a poster with the name Grey Ham on it. Yeah, like, even if the fight got cancelled, I don't care. I've got the poster. I've got the pictures of me next to the truck. I was like, even this fight gets cancelled, it's cool, man. Like, like, I've got this. For me... For me, when you put that picture, when you put that yeah. picture of that truck, you were standing beside it, I think, up on Instagram <laughs> with American flag, your head, and G-R-A-Y space H-A-M. That, for me, is the funniest <laughs> thing I've seen on Instagram in not, ever. I, not, I think about that once a week. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. I actually fly out. I'm in the off-season now. I fly out to Thailand on Wednesday. And I'm like trying to lose weight right now. I'm now I'm 40, but the gray ham may come back. I'm not sure. There's a, possi <laughs> there's a possibility here that the, I've been given the green light that I can have a little crack over the off season. I'm thinking maybe the gray ham needs to be released here. Um, so 100%. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Uh, you, you can't keep the gray ham down for long. You have to. You've one more crack in you. Yeah, it's got surely. It's uh, awesome. So continue, continue your story, Morris. Then yeah. So from, from I got offered a job and um, I, I was signed and I come back to rugby league. Um, before I was just doing like reserve grade. Now at this time of um back in the NRL, the, the biggest uh rugby league um competition in in the world. Um, had with the West Tigers. Unfortunately, we had a didn't have a great year. Um, but. I learned a ton of things. And the actual role that I got was uh, probably really suited me. Um, I was kind of athletic development slash rehab. So um, I got to run the speed and agility this year. Um, then I kind of, uh, I worked closely with the head physio, um, helped with the return to play stuff. So he did a lot of the acute stuff and managing and loading. And I kind of just topped them off at the end with, you know, if I need a return to play for contact or speed, or um, we worked together mm. reintegrating guys back into the, um, into training um, to try and make sure they're ready to perform, and um, I just and I helped in the weight room with the uh, obviously the senior strength coaches. So it was a pretty cool job because I got to work. I had my hands in a lot of different things and um, across a lot of different themes. So um, yeah, it was awesome. So I got another year there this year, so or next season. So um, just reflecting nice on last season, things we have to work on. Obviously, there's a bit to work on when you don't we don't do well. Um, but yeah, yeah, I learned heaps, enjoyed it. So, so good being back in the team environment. I forgot how much I loved it. Just being around the boys and, um, and I told you, I think I told you last time, like I was working with the AFL referees and for me, like it was, it was a good experience and everything, but like you, I was, I love that winning and losing element, like working towards something like that. Like, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Seeing, seeing good. the fruits of your labor is nice. Yeah. Obviously, I I really like working with rehab. Like, I think rehab is rehabby stuff can be really nice because there's a bit more on the line in some ways. Like, if you make a decision where you you fuck up, like you're working with a hamstring, you're trying to get mm. him back to play, and you're sprinting, and you do too much volume or intensity or whatever that day. Yeah then you can have a massive setback and it, like it's very clearly your fault whereas yeah are are partly your fault at least so there's a bit more on the line whereas with performance like you can say yeah throw a bit more weight on the bar there or do whatever but it's hard to it's, it's harder to it's harder to measure i think you know it makes you second guess everything you do um because you're yeah. you're, you're like oh before i'd be like yeah just do this i wouldn't but when you're dealing with a million dollar player um, and he's like so important to be, you know, with the team, um, 
you can't overcook them. You can't go too far because if you like say say you have a hamstring injury and you you, you speed them up and you come back too quick and then you're in all sorts. Like people are looking at you and asking questions. So you have to be careful mm-hmm. and uh, you have to be um, balancing everything up and, and be quite cautious in a way as well. But then you don't want to undercook. You don't want to yeah. go in underprepared either. So yeah, it's a really interesting role. And yeah. I, I think anyone does strength and conditioning like typically people start off in that rehab role and then they move up through to like the higher strength end roles. But I think this, this, and every strength coach will say this is the most challenging role because this is when the, mm-hmm. or it's a role that you learn the most um, because yeah. you just, you're always like changing things and things change on the fly. Someone might not be moving that well that day and you have to regress or progress depending on what's happening in front of you. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. You know, uh, you know, you know, you know, John Kiley's work around like periodization and talking about like how probably doesn't work particularly well. And mm. obviously, like the big part of SNC's education in most in most educational spaces is around like this this macro cycle, all these cycles that I'm going to program out for months and months and months on end. Yeah. That never made sense to me because I always had a rehab background. So when John like released all this stuff saying, I don't think it's particularly useful for X, Y, and Z reason, like that automatically I was like, yeah, does, do people actually think that this like long-term planning actually works? Because yeah, my, view, think- my, my point of view was always in rehab, which was like, actually, I kind of just need to see where you, how you present today and also obviously have a mind on where we need to get back to and the steps we need to take but i can't just presume you're going to be in a certain place today or next week i have to actually see how you are and then judge the session off that yeah i think a lot of those um old periodization models and that are based off olympic type sports as well where um where like you can't they're going through these different blocks and like in a in a field sport especially it doesn't really work like that at all um you know it's, it's Maladin talks about agile periodization, I think, where, you know, you could also say like vertical integration to a point, I think probably, I'd probably say vertical integration kind of works um, pre-season for a lot of field sports where, you know, you're training everything and, but you're probably focusing on a few qualities and you're ticking through some of those traditional things in a sense, but you're just still just working with what's in front of you really. And you're looking at guys or what's, you know, what's their rate limiter in performance, um, you know, uh, how do I address that to get there quicker? And, um, you know, if I'm doing this, am I doing it? Am I getting the big rocks first, you know, and trying to progress that way? Um, yeah. Because it doesn't make sense to do really intense things if you can get something at a lower uh, stimulus to begin with. Yeah. Um, then you can, leave, you can leave that for a later date. So then you can keep getting gains for someone's career. Um, 100%. What, yeah. uh, what was the... What do you think was the biggest thing you learned? Or what, actually, maybe an interesting question is what, what changed from when you were working in sport before and you obviously had a, a break then and, and now, like what, what well, do you think you've changed as, as a coach? Well, see, before when I was working, like when I was working at reserve grade level, essentially I was like in charge of everything. And now I'll, I'm put into a, you know, where I have a high performance manager, there's two strength coaches, there's me. As a sports scientist, there's a heads physio. There's other, like you're in such a big team. Then you've got, um, you know, yeah. head coaches, assistant coaches that all have a game plan. And you're kind of trying to, you know, then you're trying to say, I'm trying to run a speed and agility program. I have my thoughts on speed and agility and what I need to do. But then they all have their thoughts. And then the high performance manager has his thoughts. So then you're trying to, you know, get your principles and things across, but blend it into the game plan. Um, and that's interesting because you don't always get exactly what you want, but you have to adapt to things and um, probably learning how to adapt and fitting in what I want to do with the general program and where we needed to be at. Um, learning all those different things help like, like that. And also like from when I wasn't, when I stopped playing footy, I was, I was doing a lot of private stuff and, and you'll see a lot of people like don't, you know, I always see on like social media and that, I can tell straight away if someone hasn't worked in like in a team sport environment because some of the things they say they don't understand like when you're in a private scenario people come to you because they want to learn this and they want to do it uh a lot of a lot of athletes don't care 
about if you're trying to teach them, say, a switching drill or something like that. Like, and to try and sell that and get that across to like everyone, you have to change a lot of the way you coach and break it down really simple and then slowly just add things, add things, add things and try and sell it across mm-hmm. in a way. And then what works for one athlete, you know, you might have to change that scenario and, and use different um, reasoning with another athlete. Some athletes might like to see it and then you teach them, okay, this is good for this, but for someone else, they don't care about that. So you've got to come up with a new way to try and get that sell. Um, yeah. And then to make them even care about those things, like when they're under fatigue in the season, you know, like I'm just using it as an example, yeah. like um, they're just like, some of them just want to play footy. So like, hey, you know, the way you sell this and have the proper progressions in place and then you need a little bit of variety as well. So it's not, not so monotonous. Otherwise they're just like bored mm-hmm. doing the same shit, but you're trying to you know, dress it up somehow different because you know that the basics are pretty much what work and you're just trying to get that across, but disguise it in different ways. Um, yeah. And they have to like you. Yeah. hundred percent. Like you gotta, which is, yeah. Yeah. I, I think I'm quite lucky. Like I have a personality. I think I can adapt to, um, uh, a lot of athletes and really I'm still just a, a, a young boy at heart. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, I love working with um, athletes, so I don't really have too much of a problem like chatting and getting things across. I don't, I feel that's one of my strengths, but mm-hmm. yeah, definitely I can see that being roadblocks for some people, you know, like, yeah. um, and then you've got influential guys that, 100%. you know, have like, within the team they might have a greater influence in on other guys so it's 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 interesting you know um mm-hmm. what um what we said about calf injuries before before we um, yeah well you, you know i've always been messaging back and forth about salaire stuff and you know um like in the nrl this year you've seen a massive spike well i feel like you have anyway like the calf is like seems to be the new hamstring um and I've been saying to you for a while, like, I think how, like, important it is. And it's pretty interesting. I, I found some papers. I'm not sure if I sent this one through to you. The one by Dawn, and it shows that, like, you know, across most running lo- speeds, the soleus is the main propulsive muscle. Um, and what I found was interesting was I think at around seven meters per second, that was, was when it peaks. Um, yeah. About seven meters per second. And I literally just got, I messaged a sports scientist from us today. Um, the NRL kind of released like, like the, the loads, the running um, speeds from all the different clubs up until round 18. There's 27 rounds, but there was like a 20% increase from last year around that seven meters per second speed. What do you mean? So like say if you're running around seven meters per second, yeah. this year there's been a 20% increase in, the, in that speed compared to last year across the, whole, the, across the, the whole competition. In the amount of time spent running at that speed. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So there's been there's a lot quicker at that like high speed running, not sprinting, but below that, yeah. that high speed running. It's probably where yeah. Slayers is probably really highly activated. There's been yeah. a spike in from last year to this year across all the different teams. There mm-hmm. seems to be a, and then that coincided with you know a lot of uh, calf injuries. And when people say calf injuries, I think a lot of the time they're talking Slayers. I think. So probably, probably, yeah, yeah. Probably. The, I think so anyway, to a degree. Obviously still. The, the, I think, yeah, if you look at that study, I think the one that you're talking about, in the in the slower running, there's still I think that I think even in slower running, I don't have it in front of me now, it was like six times body weight. It's still uh, high. The and then yeah. it gets up to that like maybe seven meters per second. Yeah. And you're and talking drop- like that's seven it, point something, and then after that, it drops a little bit. Yeah, it drops off, and the hemis and the and the um the hip flexors start really. Uh, if you look at hamstring activation from eighty percent up, up up, that's when yeah. it, that dramatically increases as well. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think some tissue. I think it nearly doubles from eighty yeah. to hundred or something, just yeah. about. Yeah, and it starts super low in the hamstring, so like you can get people jogging really early after a hammy in- injury. Yeah. But even after a, after a soleus injury, they're not even walking. We've had guys that feel it walking, feel it jogging, but they, just, they start running quick and they're like, I don't feel it. 
Yeah. And it's like, oh my God, what's going what, what are we doing here? Because <laughs> <laughs> do you think it's more just isometric then at that stage? Like it's more, and not fully isometric, but more and more they're relying on their Achilles at that stage rather than like trying to lengthen and shorten the tissue. Yeah, well, that's another interesting topic. Yeah, it was, I, I sent you through that paper, the hamstring one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, talking about, you know, spring model, which is more isometric in nature um, yeah. or isometric contractor element with the tendon working and then there's that muscular type breaking eccentric contraction of the tissue and um i have a my thoughts on it the kind of tissues can switch between them to a, to a yeah. degree and i think i was saying to you i think the submaximal stuff it probably is more of a uh perhaps some of the tissues have it like more of an isometric um in nature whether or not even if our isometric contraction actually exists i'm not sure but Mm. Um, yeah, whether um, it even exists, yeah. Because yeah, but it's I'm sure too short and all the time. I'm like sure even when it's lengthening. Yeah, even when it's like when they're saying it's isometric contraction, I'm still sure. I in my head, I still feel like the sarcomeres are probably short, uh, lengthening to a degree. Because if you if you look at some of the papers on, on overcoming, I don't, I haven't gone that deep down this, so I don't. No one call me out and say you don't know what we're talking about, but. <laughs> I feel like whenever I read stuff on overcoming or yielding um, ISOs, they say yielding has more of a eccentric type adaptations and overcoming is more more um, concentric adaptations. For me, it probably means that they're going down that route to a degree. Um, yeah. yeah, but both of them are still like, yeah, it's still, there's still an oscillation occurring because like you can't, you know, there still has to be this oscillation occurring as far as I'm concerned because like how can, it's not like you just get to a point and you stay there. There's a, a tiny oscillation that has to occur if you if you look at the if you yeah. look at the force. So like surely that's happening at the at the muscle as well, you know. Yeah, and then and now that even I've I've been reading the last couple of days that you know certain parts of the tissue can be. Hey guys, just a super quick break from the show. I just wanted to tell you that for our foot, ankle and Achilles program, we actually just added a bonus section to it. So there's already four phases worth of foot and lower leg training. It shows you the exact step-by-step system that I use with all my lower leg and foot clients. And then we had a couple of people asking a little bit around big toe stuff about improving flexion, extension and strength around the big toe and the forefoot in general. So I added in a bonus big toe awakening sequence there as well so for those of you who've already bought it the 3000 almost now you'll see that bonus at the start uh, sorry at the end of the whole program so there's the education the four phases uh the plyometric work and then you'll see the bonus at the bottom for those of you who haven't got it yet same for you so make sure you jump on it uh we'll put the link in the show notes and you won't regret it it's been our most popular by a by a mile program so far and i absolutely am very proud of it so check out the foot ankle and achilles program in the show notes um, lengthening while certain parts of the same tissue can be actually shortening and then you're like just throw everything i learned at uni out the window yeah yeah which is just like oh a muscle is is lengthening or shortening but there's different parts to it like so but um with that whole hamstring debate i i i think there's enough evidence to suggest that like when it's really really high speeds there has to be an eccentric muscular contraction i I believe Mm -hmm. um so and that that paper i don't know i think i sent it to you you should read for that i think it's really good yeah i didn't i I didn't read through it yet but the for for me, I've actually gotten past the point of caring, like yeah. in terms of not that I, I want I want to know more, but like in terms of how I train it, it's not gonna tra- it's not gonna change how I train it because I think you yeah. need to be because strong in all these positions and just it, have really it, good running then. Yeah, you're exactly right. And when everyone was saying just do isometric contractions, I was like, well, hold up, like an eccentric contraction, like this, like super maximal stuff, gives you adaptations that are beneficial towards being resilient to that anyway. So like that didn't make sense. Um, mm. And then I think, I think we all just agree that, you know, you use different contractions and you're using different angles and using different movements to try and make them more robust. But then you have to have for, for those running, you have to be using different variety of running to probably, that's going to be a lot more specific in nature anyway. Yeah. Um, and just trying to get that technique down. Pat's probably the big thing, but yeah. And I then think- just mixes. Yeah, I think like if I'm looking at Hammy and they're and they're strong, they're already strong through the hamstrings. Like I'm just looking at 
a big one for me is like are they getting that swing leg retraction are they getting that cross extensor reflex like in a the timing of it of course mm. and can they actually use their hips yeah you know uh they're the they're the three big ones for me um so how would you rehab a calf what are you thinking or how would you what have, what do you think you would do then to two parts of the question too mm. because it seems like because hammies was such a big topic over the last decade there hopefully is a little bit less hammy injuries now but then there seems to be calf is like the new one so i think you just put in more calf raises and and hopefully prevent more well what i'd say is first of all have a calf program in place because i feel like a lot of people don't yeah. um i think i think there's no such thing as magical muscles but you know there's muscles that are needed for certain movements and um they're very important have very important roles for certain movements and um, you know, like as we were saying, like Solace is really, really important. And I think if you're a team sport athlete or a running based athlete, you'd need some type of calf strengthening in there. Um, yeah. Typically, like we probably like I think that whole capacity to strength to power type thing, in a way, you probably start there. But um, like I'd probably you go have your bent leg variation, you have your, your straight leg variation. Now, obviously, like if you have like calf raises or seated calf raises um, or you use a Smith machine or something like that. That's probably the best way to overload the actual tissue. Um, but, you know, I don't like the stuff you do because that feels like that kind of coordinates it in with the movement and gets the other tissues, the intramuscular coordination with the other tissues is really important. So for me, I always, I, I know that bent knee to straight knee one you do against the wall. Um, yeah. I really like that. For all my athletes, I always throw that in. I think that's really important. Yeah. But then I think you can have like um, a bent knee and a, and, a, and a straight leg one. And then you can have a dynamic variation one day. And on the other one, you might have an ISO variation. And then you flip that the other, the other day um, mm -hmm. where it, then one, the dynamic ones becomes ISO and the other one becomes um, dynamic. Yeah. And then... I think if you go along a continuum, you could just start off with capacity. Maybe the ISO is 30 second holds. Um, and then they kind of become switches with like, they're coming down in time, but you're increasing the load over time and you're kind of building strength that way where the dynamic ones are probably just adding load to it. Um, so I feel like that way you're getting the overload, but then you have the coordination ones as well. Mm -hmm. um, so you're kind of bringing it all together. Does that make yeah. sense? That's yeah, kind of sense. That's kind of where my head's at at the moment with it all. Yeah. Um, we, we get my, my clients and my athletes and my whoever, it's not just like who are injured, but, you know, we train a lot of people as well who are maybe rehabbed with us at one stage and they will keep going. But they get so much bent knee work in their gym work because so many of the exercises that I use yeah. involve uh, for positive shin angles. And like yeah. really pushing through that midfoot and that forefoot and like yeah. Bulgarian split squats and all that stuff. Like we're getting people into these positions and they're driving hard through the floor and they'll feel their calf and their foot like light up. So even we, like your we have that constantly. Even like your single leg hamstring bridge, like you're feeling the calf more than the hammy sometimes. Yeah, time. yeah. So we um, get shit ton of that. And then I usually throw in um, like foreign athlete yeah, that might be at risk of something like this, so a field sport athlete or whatever, like one set of max calf raises. Where like they can do a double leg or single leg straight knee in a with a bar on their back, like either just a bar or maybe like forty kilos on their back or something like that. Whatever, it doesn't really matter. They can just start off with even just body weight one set and they one day a week they do one set of that yeah 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 you uh, that back, um, the back end of the week type thing yeah yeah i think that yeah. works really well uh, and then um, obviously to be honest. i mean i think and obviously you have all your, your plyos and progressions in place there um mm -hmm. and obviously plyometrics at the moment seems to be the, the big buzz thing it kind of feel like at the moment it's kind of come back made a massive resurgence but you you got i feel like you have to be careful with plyometrics as well because um especially in like you got heavy athletes and things like that. Yeah. Um, like you got to be careful. Like I mean, Hank Cranhoff always talks about you either have cats and cows, um, and some people don't. Some heavy athletes won't respond to them that well. Um, you got to be careful to kind of fall, especially when you, you they're coming back with a running program as well, and you got to account for 
the load. If you're just like a, uh, say, an amateur athlete or uh, a, a semi-professional athlete where you're not getting as much running like reload, you might only be running twice a week. You can probably go smack bang hard on that. But, you know, like, I always find the plyometrics is you've got to be pretty careful with, like, um, in a running-based professional sport, especially, say, if you're in pre-season, you've got a 25-kilometer week, which involves a lot of high-speed high running, sprinting, change of direction, deceleration. You've got to be careful how you put it in and how you place it so you don't overcook them because mm -hmm. um, if that makes sense. So, yeah, obviously, sense. obviously, like, you've got, you got your jump and hop var um, variations and all that in there, but you've got to try and find that right balance to the right person and, and how you do that. And that might, that's probably a case of um person to per athlete to athlete scenario type thing. Yeah. Um, that's why the plyos is such a, it's a long-term play, which isn't always the right, which you don't always have a chance to do in pro sport or any sport for that matter. But mm. like, it really needs to be a long-term play where yeah. they're, they're doing it from a younger age. They're doing it all the way through. They're doing it in, even in their off season, one or two days, you see all the Achilles ruptures coming back uh, NFL's uh, like first first couple of weeks, all these Achilles ruptures. You wonder, it, it's a mix of like, what were they doing in their preseason and have they done well, any plyometrics type of thing? Oh, exactly right. But I think what you'll probably find is that they have a limited preseason time. Like, it's a exactly. small preseason. Like, yeah. with us, we have five, six weeks before Christmas and then we have another six, seven weeks and we've got trial games. So we have that massive period of time where I can actually put some of those things in place, but I still with low volume to begin with. And we yeah. just kind of like start it with low volume because you've got to account for the height, the, 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 the volumes of the preseason running. So you kind of just, you're just taking that more of that, that slow cooking approach yeah. uh, where you can gradually increase intensity and complexity over time, but the volume's probably going to be quite low. But yeah. yeah, with the NFL thing, yeah, like, man, everyone's talking about that now. Everyone's got... I don't know. <laughs> I, did a post on it. I did a post on it yesterday and it, I was even cringing. I took a different view, which was like, I'm not going to talk about the injury, just some of the rehab. But like, I was even cringing putting up a post because the amount of people that just jump on it, it's so cringe. What? No, 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 no. As in like, as in like the amount of people that jump on it, as in... I'm gonna like oh oh I could have solved this injury I could have yeah, fixed yeah, this I could yeah. have prevented this like yeah. thousands of physios are just and SSCs are just licking their lips when they see yeah, a, a Achilles yeah. rupture you know yeah they forget that he's forty years old and there's always different things that, and we all know it's um it's very multifactorial but I mean it has been I think there's been quite a few um this season yeah. already right um yeah. but I I don't know. Just probably, probably they're limited. They probably have a limited preseason. I think it's shorter than a lot of other sports. And then you, you kind of think whether or not did guys. I'm not saying this is what happened to Rogers, but whether like on the whole, did, did everyone have long enough to prepare? Because let's face it, the outputs these guys are putting through their body is like extreme. It's like huge. Yeah. Um, and did you see how it? Did you see the mechanism? Like, did you see the tackle? How he got hit? And. Yeah his heel was dropping and this fucking yeah. monster fellow was just like, you know, yeah. like that could have happened when he was 21, like, you know, yeah. and it was it's just one of them things. Yeah. Like a lot of times everything could have gone wrong goes wrong at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So with the plyos, this is another like thing with the rehab side of things because in rehab, the amount of, I get so much good time to work on plyos with people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is amazing. Like me and uh, I don't know. Do you know Peter Wright? PT Performance. He's called yeah, yeah, on, yeah, yeah. on Instagram. GA guy, uh, SNC. Yeah. And him and I. He's been working with uh, a GA player who's who has been one of the the best players in the country over the last ten or twelve years. Uh, one of the very very best. And he he they came down together just for a session. And um, we were looking at his plyos. Like and he. He had a he had a pretty bad injury a couple of years ago, and look, we're looking at his plyos, and he was saying like he never did this stuff ever, never yeah. had the chance to do it, and he's saying like I don't feel great doing this, or I'm sorry, like I don't feel like I'm that explosive, and I was like you're you're 31 years of age now, and other lads at this stage are usually like plummeting in their reactivity and their explosiveness, and you're getting the chance to actually not only 
it's still a low-hanging fruit for you. Like you're getting yeah. a chance to train this and improve this at this yeah. age. So, but he probably would never have got that chance. He would have got that chance, but he never would have. It never would have been a priority if he didn't get injured. So, like rehab is mm. such a good chance to actually change people's habits and views on things and and get some good work done. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and like like it's funny though because like. A lot of those like um, exercises that I've got from you, I always like bleed that in through the um, the rehab process and like uh, like I see now when the guys reintegrate back with the team, like we always have um, after team meeting they, they have individual prep, um, so they have a period of time where guys can do their own thing and like based off a lot of their like previous injury history and that they'll have set things they can do and someone kind of goes mm-hmm. around and monitors that and then we do a team prep which I run. And that, that the theme of that team prep will be depending what I'm doing on the field. So if we have, um, if I'm going to do some max velocity stuff on field or um, some high speed running technical stuff, that theme within a the gym will bleed into that. Or if there's a change of direction on the field theme, that what I'm doing in the prep will, will bleed into that. But like, like I always try and sell some some of the stuff you're taught because, oh, let's face it, some if you try and teach just someone that. It's different to like a private scenario, like as I said to you before, like if I try and get someone to do a breathing drill yeah. um, and it's in front of 30 other athletes, they're probably not going to buy <laughs> buy buy into that straight straight away. I'll give you an example, like a supine cross connect, yeah? And they kind of got your yeah. hand up. Guys aren't going to do that straight away. But yeah. if I grab someone, I go, okay, let's just, I'll, I'll do, test their internal rotation so they see it. And then I might get them to do a, like a side-lying arm bar where they're rotating over. And then after eight reps, I show them the, the hip internal rotation. And they're like, holy shit, you know? So I'll start with something like that, what I think guys will need, which is more a bit, it's probably not like, it's probably more, how, how would you put it? Like it's, e- it's an easier sell. Yeah. Um, and I'll integrate them. And I might do some like 90, 90 knee, knee um, rolls, something rolls, like that. Yeah. I go, oh, that feels really good. And you sell it like that. And then, you know, a week into it, when they're starting to feel better, I might bring in something like that. Like, you know, and then they're like, oh, but then they're kind of like, you've already kind of um, hopefully sold it to them and yeah. they're more, much more likely to do it. So it's pretty cool when I look across and I've got a couple of guys doing that in the, uh, um, in the Yeah, and you haven't, you haven't told them to do that. They're now they're, doing they're it. They're now doing it. Like... They, they, they feel it now. Um, and I, a lot of time you just got to get guys to, uh, rather than just selling it, let them, like, if you show them the results to start with, but then yeah. let them like I think if you feel it, um, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. It's uh, you have to offer proof in many ways. If I'm, but you get that in in one to one as well in rehab, like where you're one to one with someone and you you think that they really could do with a breathing drill or whatever. Actually, being smart about how you program it. I talk about this in my workshops all the time. There's such a right, so you let's say you have an athlete come into you, you're working one on one. It could be rehab, it could not be, but you're working one on one on one. They're an athlete who's a rugby player and they kind of identify as I'm someone who needs to work hard. Like I I like the grind, this type of thing. There's a big thing and you decide, right, Jesus, I need to I, I, I could do with getting their ribs to move a little bit. So how am I going to get this to happen? There's a big difference between doing like a1 is a breathing drill and then a2 is a hip shifting drill and then a3 and then b is a hard exercise a foam roller bridge or uh you know because that naturally makes sense to them because it's like oh fuck i'm feeling my hamstring there so there's a big difference between a1 and a2 being that and then b being a foam roller bridge or choose an exercise a hamstring curl uh, a deadlift whatever R versus it being A1 is a foam roller bridge. And now when you're lying down resting after your set where you just realized you've never felt your hamstring working as hard in your life, A2 is now a breathing drill. Yeah, yeah. And they won't argue with you then. So like just (laughs) being kind of smart in this way, I I think a lot of people that say to me, like, my clients won't do breathing drills, blah blah blah. And I I have empathy, I have complete empathy with team sports where I know it's not always easy to fit in, 100%. I understand that. But there is always better ways to sneak things in. Yeah. And then, as I said, I, I, I try and sell them with those other jewels first. And when I think I've kind of got them, then I might show them, hey, this something, you might get some benefit from this. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't try and tell them, like, hey, you're a sports car and uh, 
you know, you need a service to car. Yeah. This, this is your, this is the pit stop, you know, um, that yeah. keeps, keeps you going. Um, yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. What's the training week look like and where are you now thinking about, I know you don't always have the most complete control over this, but like those guys need to be very strong, very robust. They need to have a lot of muscle on their body as to be protective. So like, what's your thoughts now on that and the exercises and the loads and the compressive kind of movements that you need to use to keep them strong and keep them big versus what those things might take away from them and how you might, how do you, how do you figure out that trade off? Well, first of all, you got to, it's it's a fine balance because we kind of, we've, we kind of like um, have different um, buckets of athletes. Um, we might have the guys that are really, really strong, um, don't need to really increase their, their force anymore, just, just probably focus on a bit more power and keep a thread of like the force in there. But then you might have, we have quite a young side as well, a lot of guys coming through pathways. We had a number of players that were 18 years old and were exposed to uh, NRL this year. And we even had a kid that was 17, you know? So like we had a number of a 17 year old, 18 year old, these guys, you just got to put, to be honest, trophies, you got to put mass on them. Um, yeah. And because otherwise they'd, they'd, they could play a couple games, but they're not going to be able to play a full season. Um, yeah. It's just not possible because they're going to break down. Um, they, yeah. can't withstand <laughs> it. they can't withstand the, the forces. Um, so it's really important that, you know, um, that you put some of this mass on them. And, that, and, that, and that's one of the reasons that like people, they actually over probably their career, they probably get slower. Um, because when they're six, 17, 18, they're probably running faster. Um, and not faster, but they probably won't improve their speed that much over, over their lifetime because they're actually putting on size throughout their career. Um, mm-hmm. and, but their momentum will significantly get better. Okay? So like when I say momentum, I'm talking about their, their body mass and their speed, um, which is rugby league is a collision-based sport. So it's really important. Uh, because basically, the difference between uh, Union and League, we run back 10 metres, right, you know, from the defence. So the defence runs back 10 metres. And then you're always running, wow. bang, bang, bang. <laughs> and you're trying to find that opening, right? So yeah. you need you need to be able to withstand those forces. So if you have a developmental player, it's really, really important that you can um, get them resilient and robust in all those areas, put some size on, and probably increase their force output. Um, then for the back end of that, you might have guys that are being around and they're in like the early 30s or getting caught, you know, late 20s and you're just trying to keep a thread of a few of those things in there, but you're trying to keep them feel good and, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's when they probably have a little bit more autonomy with what they, you know, you give them a little bit more say what they want to do to a degree. Um, and, you know, like they might not back squat because it doesn't like it. They don't like back squatting. So you get in the belt squat. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? Um Things like this, so I think it depends. And for me, you always got to have you know power. You always got to have force output. You always got to have resilience and robustness around those key areas. And it's really important that your joints move um, properly so that all these tissues and functioning properly on the field. Um, so I think a balance of everything. Yeah. But then, obviously, as we talked about before, um, how much you do of each one probably depends on where you're at. Yeah. Are you selling many online programs now? Bro, I've been saying for how long I'm going to do a new off-season one. And I thought about starting to write it today. And I reckon I could write it probably in, in a day and a half. Probably quicker. <laughs> it's all in my head. And then I, for some reason, I just don't do it. Um, yeah. But I'm going to new, do a new off-season one um, for sure. Um, I've got a few As in like an updated, like yeah, to yeah, replace yeah. the previous one. Yeah. But yeah, I'm going to change it and put some all the new things that I've been doing because that one's probably four four years old. And I've yeah. changed. You know what I've been doing? I can probably tell people what I've done, been doing with a lot, a lot of my online clients is like that first GPP phase. This is all my online clients. Um, I've been doing like a, let's say you've got a, a Zercher or a front squat one day. Um, you might have a RDL or something on the other day. Is like week one, you do like a three or four second hold. Uh, for five reps and then week two you do two second hold 
week three you do one second hold um and the last one's just like dynamic um i found it, i've been finding it works really really good um guys get really good in those um those movement patterns um and then outside of that there's some base basic accessories and um a lot of just trying to get some capacity and strength in those as i talked about before hammies salaeus adductors um those those areas that are prone to injury um mm-hmm. and then a lot of movement yeah I mean, obviously, you, need to, you need to answer my question. Are you making money online? Yeah, I am. But I, I need to make more. Not, I'm not making the, like the big daddy, David. Um. <laughs> As, uh, yeah, it's tricky to work. You're working a full-time job and like you're obviously not putting as much emphasis on social media then. I'm going to tell you one thing, like, it's funny, like, I used to post a little bit, quite a bit, probably, a lot more. I used to write for Kia and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I, it was because at the time I wasn't getting the job I wanted, so I was putting this information out there. And the second I've got the job I wanted, I've kind of just fallen off the, the complete. I've stopped yeah. posting. And I, I, I probably should just put a bit more out there because I'm, I'm pretty sure some of the stuff I'm doing people will probably find interesting. Um, Oh look, but, there's no doubt about that. But should yeah. it, it? It's not a should thing. Like you should. It's not that you should. It's that yeah. if you want to. Like yeah, I just I don't know. Like I do scroll through Instagram a bit and stuff, and like I feel now I'm, I don't post as much. Back in the days, I post all this training stuff, and now I'm posting like memes and things about Top Boy. Um, <laughs> it's, it's kind of like I feel like as, when I look at Jonas's stories, he's doing something similar. Like yeah. it's not a. It goes down that route of training. You're like, nah, I'm just gonna, you know. <laughs> you know? Um, do you not? Do you not watch my videos? Yeah, yeah. You know what? That's I've got that highlighted because I haven't gone through your online platform for a while. But um, I'm gonna, Dave. When I go through, I'm a bit weird. When I find something I want to go through, I just hammer it. Um, <laughs> like that that hamstring paper. I saw it yesterday. I went through. Uh, I mean, I found like six other references, and I've gone through all those papers today. And um, and I know Angus Bradley Bradley says, "Oh, you don't need to read research." Well, guess what, Angus? Um, I like reading research. So, <laughs> I thought that was going to be a stronger next yeah, point. Well, you know, I like I'm it. Gonna, I thought I'm, you were going to say, "Fuck you, Angus." Yeah. Well, no, Christina <laughs> goes. So he'll say, um, "You know, most trainers, most trainers don't need to do it. They just need to read books." Well, guess what? I don't want to be like most trainers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, like. I went down that rabbit hole today and I was like, I thought it, oh, it's getting me all excited. So, um, but what I'll do is I'll get onto your platform and I'll smash that out one day and I'll go through it all. And I kind of move on from thing to thing, um, yeah. depending on what I'm interested in at the time. Yeah. Um, I didn't even yeah. mean the platform though. I meant, uh, Instagram videos. Yeah. Well, I'll start, I'm going to try and start pushing a few. You need to throw me a like every now and again. Or hey? comment. I, okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll feed your algorithm okay <laughs> the, the, the gray hand will feed the algorithm don't worry <laughs> but no but you have your products there like you know they're there for sale so like yeah. most of the hard work is done it's just a very yeah yeah and I, I've, I've got this thing called fight club now as well um which is pretty cool i set up that other page um i've got a muay thai like, athletic page and it's, it's quite funny because like that kind of the strength and conditioning in that is a lot like I feel like it's a lot further behind, say, field yeah. sports. So I just keep it super, super basic on that. Yeah. Um, and like that's kind of a little bit more of a niche market there because I feel like people don't have that experience or don't know what to do. Because back, back, basically, a lot of people just doing like push ups and things like that, yeah. road running all day, and that's yeah. kind of getting big. So I've got that. Then uh, I've I still got my off season, my pre season. Um, in-season products and things like that, but I'm going to update is the that. Fo- is the fight one, um, is that a follow-along program that everyone... Subscription. Like a subscription, yeah. Yeah, yeah. subscription-based, yeah. yeah. How's that doing? It goes all right. Like, it just slowly ticks away, you know? Um, yeah. And, like, you kind of make it like a template and, you know, you say to people, like, pick and choose what you need to do. Um, mm-hmm. I think that works quite well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. That's, that's good. Um... Anything else for us? No, mate. Um, don't think so. Yeah. 
I mean, I mean, I'm off to Thailand on Wednesday, so I'm, I'm sure I have some stories for you later. How long are you going for? Uh, just a yeah, fishing a month. Where um, in Thailand do you go? Uh, this time I go. To, I go. What's where I was last time? Phuket, but I go down the bottom, yeah. um, away from the the real party area. I try and get away from that. Mm-hmm. Just do do the odd Saturday there. Mm-hmm. Is it? Uh, is it? <laughs> is it nice? As in, like, if you're not partying, is Thailand a good place to go to? Yeah, it's unreal. Like, yeah. um, the beaches are awesome. I love the food. Uh, I think the co- the coldest it's going to be is 25 degrees. That's a low, like mm-hmm. during the middle of the night. The only, only thing is, at this time of year, hopefully, uh, miss out on the uh, the rain, which sometimes it can rain this time of year. Yeah. But do you know what I love about countries like that? Like, you know, like I feel like all the Western we're all kind of a bit more like a nanny state now. Like I feel like we're getting more rules placed upon us and you can't do anything. Over there, I jump on a scooter, which shouldn't be doing this, but have no helmet, uh, no shirt, just ride down, literally park on the beach. No, There's no parking ranger coming around trying to check out anything. You walk onto the beach, you do that, you come back, you know. Um, you know I, funny lo- thing I, I love that. I was in yeah. Vietnam and it was just like, no, it's it's wild, and obviously there's good and bad. But you're in a lane like the where in Ireland there there'd be one car in that lane driving, and in in Vietnam there's like seventy scooters side yeah. by side. Yeah, I, I you have a high possibility of dying, which is probably <laughs> more exciting. But I would have. I mean, this is the, I've got two funny stories about the scooter. That's quickly. Um, but like when I first got to Thailand, it was just out of COVID. Um, you didn't have to wear a helmet, but you had to wear a mask because of COVID. <laughs> so you're on a, on a scooter, I've got this mask. No, no helmet. Like, <laughs> like cops are stopping people because they need to have a mask on. Like, yeah. you're on a scooter, going 60 kilometers an hour. Um, <laughs> and then a few months into the trip, I remember I was cruising along and I looked to my right and this person's doing a wheelie. Okay, on a scooter, doing a wheelie. I swear to God, it was a 10-year-old kid riding it and he had his friend on the back holding him. And then the kid in the back like, yes, there's two of them, 60Ks an hour, doing a wheelie. I'm like, oh my God. It's so wild. 10, 10 years old. It's, it's wild. In Vietnam, you see, me and Kieran look across, we're on a scooter and we're going about six miles an hour trying to not die and you look across and there's a mother, a father and one scooter. Yeah. A bale of hay, a sheep, and a baby. <laughs> and like, on, the mother and father would have helmets on him, and the baby would have no helmet. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? Yeah, I was, uh, there's a lot of rehab opportunities in those countries. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> it's fucking, but you are right. Like, there's something nice about just if you fuck up, it's your own fault. Yeah, it's not yeah. like I'm, it's not like I stepped in a pothole and I'm going to sue the government for having the pothole. It's like, yeah. no, you fucking take responsibility for yourself here. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of liber- <laughs> it's kind of liberating in a way. Um, yeah, just just make sure you get medical insu- just make sure you get medical insurance before you go. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, maybe I'll All be right. back in Australia. We had a nice swim and a beer in. Yeah, well, you know was, what? So I'm I'm thinking this time next year I might have to do a Europe trip. So um, if I do, maybe I'll run a couple of seminars. So I might run one in yeah, Ireland or something. Yeah. I think Ireland one would go well for you. I think a lot of um, GA coaches and stuff are yeah uh, like your stuff and probably use your stuff. So I think that would probably go well. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So, yeah. Let me know. Yeah. All right, brother. All Thank right, bro. you. No worries. Take care, man. Hey, guys. David here again. I hope you really enjoyed that episode with Graham. Just a quick one on DGR Interactive, our member site. So Graham actually has ha- has two guest presentations on the site. One is on curve linear running or curvy linear running or curved running, as I like to call it, uh, in team sports. That's 22 minutes long, and he shows you how he starts with curved running which is obviously so important, and then progressive 
progresses to progressively more difficult and intense variations of curves. So typically people think of just a long, one long curve, but actually Graham is very inventive with how he does it. And it is a super important part of rehab. So that's 22 minutes long. And then he has another one on high speed running and sprinting for field sports, which is 15 minutes long. So in like 40 minutes or whatever, you would have learned a lot about curve running and high speed running and sprinting both for team sports super two super valuable short presentations and he's someone who's actually using this work on a day-to-day basis and so you know it works it's not just it's not just theory also uh chris or coach chris who you probably know has just put up a video on the site around getting the ribs up and the pelvis to anterior tilt and getting some length through the rectus. So that's definitely a class. I think a lot of people, practical class, not not very long at all. A lot of people will or should take regardless of, you're just going to be working with so many people who need that. And so many people who are listening need to be able to do that much, much better. And there's, I think he has five exercises back to back, which is a little bit of a progression to, gently introduce an anterior tilt gently introduce the ribs coming up uh gently introduce some length through the rectus and then making that slightly more dynamic or slightly more loading that a little bit more as you go along so super important class that's three pieces of content on dj interactive that you should check out and we also just put up a biomechanics 101 course up there as well which has 13 key lessons some people were because there's like 200 hours of content on the member site, some people were a bit confused as to where to start. So I made a biomechanics 101 course, which has 13 key lessons that I think everyone should start with in the beginning. And that's a super, like every one of those I chose carefully to make sure you're getting different pieces of the puzzle. Um, and it will set you up very much for success going forward with the rest of the site and also just with the rest of your coaching and um, getting getting really good results with your clients. So yeah, check out DJ Interactive. We'll put the link down in the bio. Thanks again to Graham. Thanks to everyone for listening, and we will chat to you guys next time.